Listener supported. WNYC Studios. From the pages of The New Yorker, this is the weekly comment podcast. In What's the Story? Steve Cole reports on the media and the Mueller reports March Surprise. Last year, The Times and The Washington Post shared a Pulitzer Prize for deeply sourced, relentlessly reported coverage of Russian interference in the 2016 presidential election. None of the stories established that Donald Trump or members of his campaign had conspired illegally with Russians, though some of the reporting raised that possibility. The Times, for example, reported that in the summer of 2016, when Donald Trump Jr. was informed in an email that a high-ranking Russian official was offering to share dirt that could incriminate Hillary Clinton, he replied, I love it. When the paper contacted Trump Jr. for comment, he released the emails in question. On March 24th, Attorney General William Barr, summarizing the special counsel Robert Mueller's final report, announced that Mueller had cleared Trump and his campaign of conspiring with Moscow. In this revelation, commentators on both the left and the right perceived an epic media fail. Russiagate reporting had been conjectural, hyperbolic, and in the end, just wrong. President Trump, for his part, tweeted that the media had pushed the Russian collusion delusion while knowing that it was false and reprised his incitements against journalists, saying, they truly are the enemy of the people. The coverage of the investigation did include embarrassments, specious chirons, tendentious talking heads, and retracted scoops among them. Yet it does not follow that American journalism failed because the best-resourced newsrooms in the nation chose to report assiduously on the Mueller investigation and its subjects, only to learn that Mueller did not prove that Trump had conspired with Russia. Mueller was appointed in the first place because the Justice Department and the FBI had uncovered troubling information about the campaign. According to Barr, Mueller found that there had been multiple offers from Russian-affiliated individuals to assist the Trump campaign, and he did not exonerate the president of obstruction of justice. Apart from that, the evidence, independently uncovered by journalists, suggesting that members of the Trump campaign might have colluded, if not conspired, in order to win the election, was newsworthy and begged for additional reporting. So did the evidence of Russian hacking attempts to manipulate the vote to Trump's benefit of campaign finance violations committed by the president's personal lawyer, and of corruption and false statements made by Trump's former campaign aides. Mueller's investigation resulted in the indictment of 34 people, seven of whom have pleaded guilty so far. The country's major papers, magazines, and digital newsrooms published reams of accurate reporting about all of this. But the indictments and the reporting also built up outsized expectations for Mueller's report. As the investigation extended into this year, the portentous question of what new information Mueller's team, exercising subpoena power, might disclose remain unanswered. The mystery provoked fevered speculation, but Mueller's office, unusually for Washington, did not leak, and so arrived the March surprise. The media's role was complicated by the fact that revelations uncovered by professional reporters, once published, became engulfed in a toxic fog of hot takes, opinion masquerading as reporting, and hyperpartisan competition. The news organizations that employed the best workaday reporters on the Mueller beat are not entirely blameless in this regard. 
At the top of the Times desktop homepage these days, as many opinion pieces appear as news stories, and the Washington Post has been expanding its opinion sections, though such pieces are careful about facts. Cable television, meanwhile, mixes field reporting and newsmaking interviews with personal asides from primetime personalities and roundtables of bombast mongers. Journalists have long harbored a belief that readers and viewers understand the difference between editorializing and reporting. It would be unrealistic to expect them to make such a distinction now. The economics of news is partly responsible for this state of affairs. In an age of distraction, many Americans now get their news from social media. At the same time, Facebook and Google have broken the advertising models on which newspapers and digital newsrooms previously relied. The survival strategy adopted by many papers, persuading readers to buy digital subscriptions, requires them to publish content that readers find indispensable or at least touches on their sense of identity. In cable TV, channels that viewers feel they can't live without command the highest fees from distributors. Fox News's deeply devoted audience makes that network exceptionally valuable. As a result, the temptation in media businesses is to exploit political tribalism. President Trump, for all his demagoguery, has yet to marginalize professional reporting. In many newsrooms, investigative journalism is enjoying a renaissance, and it is having a strong impact within and beyond Washington. Last summer, while covering the administration's zero-tolerance policy of removing immigrant kids from their parents, Ginger Thompson of ProPublica obtained and released a recording of young children crying in a holding facility. Her work provoked a public outcry, and the administration reversed its policy. Reporting by the Indianapolis Star helped bring to justice the child molester Larry Nassar of USA Gymnastics. A series of stories in the Baton Rouge Advocate found that a Jim Crow-era law, which allowed defendants accused of felonies such as murder to be convicted by a split jury verdict, fostered racism and mass incarceration. Louisiana's Republican-led state legislature approved a referendum to reconsider the law, and in November, voters chose to require unanimous verdicts in trials involving felonies. Last Wednesday, the president gave a lengthy interview to Sean Hannity of Fox News in which he discussed the Mueller report. Trump praised Fox while attacking pretty much everyone else. The 2020 election cycle is all but certain to deliver another divisive, attention-grabbing spectacle. News organizations will have important choices to make. Investigative reporting can change politics, as it did in Alabama in 2017. When voters elected the Democrat Doug Jones to the U.S. Senate, after the Washington Post and others revealed the alleged misconduct of his Republican opponent, Roy Moore. The First Amendment protects all political journalism, even when it serves merely as a megaphone for particular candidates. But voters will benefit most from legions of reporters working without fear or favor. That was What's the Story by Steve Cole from The New Yorker magazine, April 8, 2019, narrated by Christy Burns. Also in the magazine this week, Paige Williams on responding to emergencies in the age of mass shootings, Nicola Twilley on indoor air pollution, Rachel Aviv on leaving psychiatric drugs behind, Douglas Preston on the dinosaurs' final hours, Adam Gopnik on reconstruction. Joanna Biggs on Susan Choi's Trust Exercise, 
Louis Menan on Baseball as a Way of Seeing, Dan Chiasen on The Poetry of David Baker, Anthony Lane on The Beach Bum and Dumbo, fiction by Ping Chen, and more. Audible.com produces a weekly audio edition of The New Yorker. To subscribe or to download individual issues, we invite you to go to www.audible.com and enter New Yorker in the search box. To subscribe to the comment podcast, go to www.newyorker.com or to the New Yorker room on the iTunes store.